Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Man, I love college football. When we get to November, the games mean even more, or seemingly do, and we've got lots of them on tap to talk about for you this week. Florida playing Arkansas, that's going to be big for their college bowl hopes. Florida State is at FSU. USF is going to travel to Memphis. So we got all of that plus the national championship implications along the way. And Dabo Sweeney and Jim Harbaugh eh, making a little news of their own. So we'll talk to Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times coming up here in just a minute who covers college football for us. First, I wanted to uh, just update you on the Bucks. They've begun preparations for their Sunday game against the Houston Texans in Houston. Um, we had a chance to talk to Baker Mayfield a little bit on Wednesday, as we always do. And Baker is, you know, he's a little nicked up. I mean, quite frankly, he's wearing a sleeve on that left knee. He's taking a couple hits on that. Uh, of course, the original injury was against New Orleans when he got bent back. Uh, he's had a, a couple more challenging um, uh, sort of contact with that knee. I will say this about Baker, and it's interesting because the last few weeks, I think what has happened, in fact, I know, and they talked about it a little bit on Wednesday, is that teams, defenses in particular, have adjusted and and are trying to keep Baker now in the pocket, right, which is what you would want to do. Um, they, you know, When Dave Canales came in, a lot of zone, outside zone runs, and off of that, a lot of play action, bootlegs, waggles. You saw some guys open. You saw Baker um, you know, spin out of there and, and have uh, some throwing lanes. And he's not obviously the tallest quarterback. He's listed at six foot one. He is over six foot. I don't know if he's all of six foot one. He's taller than me and I'm right at six. Um, but I, I think that, you know, when you're going against six foot six linemen and stuff, we've seen some balls batted down, but Baker is now having to play a little bit more from the pocket, um, because that's where teams want to keep him. He's a little more dangerous when he extends plays. And they're playing that cover two shell. They're stopping the run with a seven-man front. So it's really difficult, um, you know, for him to, uh, you know, to, to, to get free to throw the football at times. He's having to throw quick three-step drops, things like that. That's where you get the ball batted down because they know that it's coming out of there fast. So um, as, you know, as Dave Canales and, and there's more tape on his offense – um, there's going to be a counter to that, and I think that's sort of what you're seeing now uh, with with Baker Mayfield. Having He's going to have to win from the pocket, and he's capable of doing that. He's only been sacked 11 times, uh, but as I mentioned, um, you know, he's having to get rid of the ball quicker and quicker, and we saw that last year You know, when Tom Brady, who only plays from the pocket, he was getting that out of there in like 2.4, 2.2, 2.3 uh, you know, seconds, and so... Uh, as Baker said, they still want to do the run pass options and they want to get out on the edges and, and, uh, but defenses are sort of attacking their perimeter, um, whether they're, you know, setting a defensive lineman looping out or, or, uh, edge pressure is kind of taking away some of those, some of those zone schemes, but it's going to be interesting to see what Dave Canales counters with because they still don't have a very good running game. But the one thing they have been able to do is sort of check the ball down, to Rashad White, he was seven of seven for seventy yards when targeting White in that twenty-four to eighteen loss to Buffalo. So, 
I think overall, you know, Tristan Wirfs battling a bit of a quad injury. He was limited in practice. Baker was full go. Vita Vea is full go. He's had some uh, assortment of injuries that he's been battling a little bit. They still don't have Matt Filer. Um, you know, he's got a knee injury, so I think he'll be out. Probably the only player that will be out this week for sure. So we'll see how the health goes the rest of the week. But, uh, you know, today we'll have a chance to talk to Dave Canales and, of course, one of their defensive coordinators. I think it's Larry Foote that's on deck. Uh, and, the, you know, the Bucks need to get some turnovers too. It's it's amazing to me that you can have three of the four guys in the secondary. And, of course, Antoine Winfield Jr. has played great. He, he's created turnovers all over the place. He doesn't have an interception, but, in fact – it's wild to me that the entire starting secondary, not one guy of those four has an interception. And, and it, it's just, you know, when you talk about the money they're paying Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis for those guys, not to really, you know, have an interception. Um, and they don't have a lot in their career, right? They both have seven, uh, but they're playing a lot of zone. You know, I, I think uh, only 21% of the time are they playing press man. And that's because they don't trust some of the other guys in man coverage. So they're playing off the receiver, but that gives you a chance to watch the quarterback. And so they should be breaking on balls and, and, you know, and getting to them. But we'll talk more about the Houston Texans and CJ Stroud, who does not turn the ball over even for a rookie quarterback. And it should be an interesting matchup. Really, they're all must wins in the NFL. Which game do you not want to win? But this one is, is very vital for the Bucks to, first of all, break the three-game losing streak and then get back into the NFC South where, um, you know, the Atlanta Falcons have decided they're going to go now with Ta- Taylor Heineke, which I have been saying is the right move for weeks and weeks now. I think that makes it uh, the Falcons much more dangerous as a contending team. Of course, they're tied with New Orleans at 4-4 four and four atop the NFC South. But uh, I, I really think that was a move they should have made weeks ago and and you know taking the, the ball away from Desmond Ritter, who has seven turnovers in three weeks. Uh, and uh, so that'll be something to watch as well. So we'll talk more about the Bucks. We'll break down the matchup between the Bucks and Houston tomorrow on the podcast. We're going to get to Matt Baker and talk some college football in just a minute. But first, you guys know the past 14 years, the skilled pros at May Electric Solar have been installing solar energy systems all over Florida. Now, they provide the most reliable solar equipment, the best installation methods, and service while helping homeowners cut energy costs with an environmentally friendly investment, May Electric Solar uses their own skilled employees, never subcontractors, and they've always offered the safest and the most reliable equipment. Well, now May Electric Solar offers a 30-year no-cost equipment replacement and labor warranty. This means for 30 years, May Electric Solar, backed by Solar Insure, means your roof, your electrical and equipment replacement is covered. Solar Insure even survives May Electric Solar in his own Buy the homeowner with no deductibles or additional fees. And get this, the policy will transfer to the new homeowners with no fee. This is not a blanket insurance policy. In fact, only the best contractors are allowed to be part of this program. May Electric Solar's reputation and history of workmanship has earned this membership. To learn more about May Electric Solar's installation and their 30-year warranty, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. All right, best time of the week. We get to talk college football with Matt Baker, who covers that crazy sport for the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. And I promise we are going to talk lots of college football here in just a second, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask a guy from uh, from those parts of Indiana um, just your thoughts. Uh, the breaking news, of course, is the passing of Bobby Knight. He was, at minimum, a very colorful 
very controversial figure, uh, and crazy successful, of course, in college basketball. Um, and, and I'm just curious, you know, I know, uh, you know, after about two decades of declining health, he did actually return to Bloomington. Um, I think in 2019, the following year at halftime, there was a game, I guess, against Purdue where he came out onto the court at Assembly Hall to a standing ovation. It was very emotional. Uh, he had been suffering from dementia and in some bad health, but Bobby Knight passes at the age of 83. So, so tell me, um, just what's it like when you think about all that, 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 that he meant, uh, to Indiana and, and, and the, the controversy that seemed to follow him, what were your, what were your impressions of the man growing up there? Yeah. I mean, I, giant is an understatement with him. I mean, right. I, I grew up about 30, 45 minutes, uh, away from, from Bloomington and, you know, in, Indiana at that time, it's less so now, but at that time was such a college basketball state. And again, it still is, but the Colts, you know, have, have become a bigger deal in the state because of of what Peyton did. But, uh, at that time it was such a college basketball state where, you know, I remember in elementary school, right? Like IU and Purdue would play and, uh, you know, the principal would have a bet with somebody and, you know, losers wearing the Indiana shirt on Friday or whatever it is. Like it's just so intense. And Bobby Knight was just an icon there. I mean, the IU fans absolutely loved him. He could do no wrong. He walked on water. And the Purdue fans absolutely hated him. And and both sides were right. I mean, it's how it boiled down to. Um, because he was so... I mean, polarizing is not really the right way to put it, but he w- their highs were so high with the national championships and the gold medal and um, the success that he sustained for such a long time. And the lows were terrible i mean Mm. we were talking before it came on i mean i I remember being at my friend john's house when he got fired and when that was going down like that is one of those i remember where i was moments um, because that is what that is how much he meant to the state i mean he's on the i certainly think he's on the mount rushmore of indiana sports with with peyton manning reggie miller and i don't know newt rockney or somebody um that's just larry bird probably but yeah he's what he did, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and there was a lot of good, a lot of bad, and a lot of ugly, um, was, was unmatched. And, you know, I, the, I'll put it this way. The group text with my buddies back home was, was certainly going tonight. I, I mean, obviously, he, and I'll, I'll get off this, I promise, in just a second, but obviously uh, the man uh, knew how to coach basketball and, and had developed a lot of great players and what he did with the Dream Team, and all this is well-documented. But Matt, from afar, there, there's a side of him. I'm not sure the way things are today, um, and eventually it got him anyway, right? He was fired by Indiana. Uh, but can you imagine social media and all that? All that he did, um, there was this boorish side of him, right? This bullying side that that was not attractive, and I don't know that that universities would stand for that today. Does that make sense? Oh, it definitely makes sense. Um, I don't know how much they would. I mean, you'd have to get to a certain point, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, society has changed, and sure. you know, I, I don't know that we can say it's for the bad when, you know, do you really want the, your, your head coach throwing a chair across the floor? <laughs> probably Pro- not. Probably not. Do you really want him <laughs> going after people the way he did? And by going after, I mean physically going after them? Mm, no, probably not. Um, it wasn't like it was loved at the time by everyone either um there there were things that crossed the line even even decades ago but yeah i i I have a hard time thinking there's going to be somebody quite 
like that again. Although, I mean, when we look around in particular, the, the craziest sport of college football, there's been plenty of people. Really? No, they haven't thrown chairs, but there's been plenty of crazy outlandish things that people have been able to survive. Cause I mean, it's then and now what people will put up with is directly proportional to how much you win. And he won That's a true. lot and yeah. that certainly helped him, uh, continue, you know, helped, Indiana fans and administrators to keep it going because they were able to, to look past a lot um, as long as they kept winning. One of those figures in sports that if you were in the room or walked by him, you knew immediately he was he had that magnetism. He was a giant, as you said, uh, in college basketball and in sports in general. I can't imagine what he was like to the state of Indiana. All right, let's talk about this state and college football in particular. And you were at Jacksonville uh, for the Florida Georgia game and and man I I turn on the TV and Florida gets the ball and and Graham Mertz is hitting deep shots and they take him right down the field and it's seven and nothing I'm going oh boy let me go get some popcorn here this is this mm-hmm. let's settle in this is gonna yeah didn't make, take very long and then all of a sudden at ten to seven <laughs> they face a, a a uh, fourth down situation. First of all, I thought they got the first down, and then the replay showed they didn't. Okay, mm-hmm. um, but they face a fourth down situation, and that's when, as you termed it, fourth and done occurred. The play to Trevor Etienne. I, I hated the play. I didn't necessarily mind they went for it, although I don't know that I would have had that idea at the thirty-four yard line. But um, I guess in just reading what you wrote. Uh, about this situation that Billy Napier just came into it with the attitude that, yeah, what's going to take something special for us to pull this off. Yeah. And I think he was right. You know, let, let's, let's start with the decision to go for it and we'll, we'll put yeah. this in a box for now. And yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, Georgia is most talented team in the country, a second most talented team, whatever it is, they clearly can out athlete Florida and, and Georgia's yeah. offense is, is good. Their defense is really good. Um, yeah, I, I think it's one of those situations where if Florida was going to have a chance to win, they were going to have to take chances. Um, I think that means to some degree on the play calls, right? Like a lot of people were upset that Florida ran the reverse uh, early in the second drive near midfield and that didn't go anywhere. Well, I'm okay with it because you're, you're not going to just like line up and, and try and run it down your throats. That's, you can't do that against those guys. Florida's not there. Georgia's too good. That's not going to happen. So you're going to have to get into your bag of tricks and and, and do that type of stuff. Um, and part of that is going for it on uh, in questionable situations. Just because, no, the odds of success aren't great, but the odds of six lower odds of success are higher if we go for it here than if we punt it and you know strength lengthen this game out right if that makes sense so i'm cool with the decision to go for it it was the play call itself that i did not like um Mm. for for several reasons um yeah i know george is going to be hard to run against but graham is pretty big maybe you can sneak a yard um and the deception of trying to to have your your running back playing quarterback in this situation and and trying to make a move that quickly with somebody coming on. It it just didn't seem, again, I understand the idea where, again, we're going to have to go to misdirection if we're going to beat these guys, but on, to take that much of a risk in that situation that early in the game, Georgia wasn't fooled. And, and that was that. Yeah. I mean, right down to the, you talk about deception, they snap the ball, they run up to the line of scrimmage like they're going to sneak it and then snap it through Mertz's legs to ETN 
And at first, I thought it was just a straight run until I realized, no, this guy's maybe going to throw it. He's left-handed, which that might have been an element of surprise. So, yeah, just nothing uh, really had a chance once they once they went for that. And then, of course, Georgia did Georgia things and, and pretty much uh, won – I think the score was a little misleading there at the end, but they they won handily, forty three to twenty. Um, did we learn anything about how far the Gators are from the Georgia Bulldogs, or no? Yeah, I think a little bit. It's further than I thought going in. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we talked about it last week, and I know I wrote about it. Right. Florida should be competitive. Right. That that was a reasonable, realistic thing, um, just right. because, again, Georgia didn't have Brock Bowers, their future mm-hmm. top 15 pick, and Mary, uh, Marius Mims, the uh, offensive tackle, he didn't play. Um, and then, you know, you factor in this is year two for, for Billy, veteran quarterback, all that stuff. It was reasonable to think they could be competitive. And again, South Carolina was competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Auburn was competitive. Why couldn't Florida be competitive? So for them to get blown out the way they did it, it reminded me of the game a couple years ago um anthony richardson's first start where they were competitive for you know what was it 25 minutes mm-hmm. and then the wheels fell off and there was a you know the, the pick six and a, a fumble and it just it when it turned it turned and it felt that way the other day in jacksonville and to me it was a reminder that they're not they're not that close is, is what it boils down to. And, you know, as we look at how it's going to go the rest of the season, it, it's important to keep that in mind just to kind of have realistic, reasonable expectations. They're, they're not, they're not there. They don't have the horses. They haven't recruited at a high enough level long enough. And, and I'm not going to give Billy a pass here either. Um, I don't think they're maximizing what they could be and should be. And, you know, there are reasons why in terms of youth, uh, in terms of injuries, you know, that Gators announced tonight, Shamar James, the, you know, their linebacker and leading tacklers is done for the year with a knee injury. So mm. that's a, you know, adding injury to insult, I suppose. They're just not where they could be and not where they should be. And it's, it's a, look, Georgia could very well win the national championship. I would not be surprised. But it's also reasonable to expect Florida to be better than 23 points away from them. So they play Arkansas, and you wrote that this in some ways might be one of the bigger games uh, in in Billy Napier's uh, career at Florida. And and I guess if you look at the schedule, boy, oh boy, um, number three LSU, number 14 Missouri, and then of course they wind up with number four FSU. Um, I mean, we talked about it's important, right, for these teams to get to bowl games. You get a month of practice and, and, and where the program is at. Um, so it could come down to this game, right? Yeah, realistically. I mean, it, we can – yes, they could beat LSU or, or at Mizzou or, or Florida State. Crazier things have happened. I use it all the time. I saw a team lose because a guy threw a shoe. Anything can happen in this stupid sport. <laughs> um Realistically, I wouldn't bet anything on Florida winning the the, the last three games, um, and I think the, the the Gators deep down know that they they know they're going to be underdogs in those. So if they're going to make a bowl, it's probably going to come down to Saturday and whether they can beat the Hogs. And there are reasons to be optimistic. Arkansas is not that good, um, but there's some weirdness to this too. Um, you know, Arkansas fired their offensive coordinator Dan Enos, who's a, a former Miami assistant, um, heading into 
before their open date, they were they were off last week. So they've got a new first time play caller and, and Kenny uh, um, uh, Guillot, um or Gaio, excuse me. Um, so they got a new play caller um, who's got more of an air ready background than than Danny Dos had. So I don't know quite what that's going to look like, and and more importantly, Billy Napier doesn't know quite what that's going to look like either. And since this is their first game coming out of the open date, it's going to be interesting to see. What does this offense look like? You know, Arkansas was going to throw out, I think they said about a third of the playbook um, just to try and simplify things. They might get Rocket Sanders, one of the best running backs in the SEC back. And again, Florida is down their leading tackler and Shamar James. It, it's not a gimme. You know, Arkansas is not that good, but they have been a tough out for everybody. So this is a very, this could be a very competitive game, and I think it will be. And if we're looking at where Florida is going, because they're not going to get to to where they want to be this year, they're they're just not. It's too late for that. But if they're going to get to where they want to be eventually, they need, I think, a bowl game to show some momentum. Uh, I think they need that to impress recruits and to keep this current class together. And then, as you touched on, they need it just for the development of the young guys. I think uh, 70% of the guys are in their first or second year at Florida, and a lot of them are, are, are um, you know underclassmen that, that Billy brought in. They need those reps. They need that time to, to develop and get somewhere. And uh, the bowl game is not the end-all, be-all, but it's something that helps. And uh, otherwise, you're looking at, I think it's three straight losing seasons for the first time since like 1945 to 47. Like I have a hard time thinking that a top three recruiting class is going to stay if you, if you have a losing season again. So this is just pivotal in terms of where they're going, even if it's not to where they want to get right now. You know, Matt, you bring up a good point. And John Romano wrote, touched on this in a column um, the other day after the Georgia game. And I didn't realize the record, but, this this might be evolving into the, some of the dark the darkest chapters of Florida football. They're eight and thirteen. I didn't realize this. Eight and thirteen in their last twenty one games in the SEC, buddy. They're not playing Georgia and Alabama every weekend, right? No. So to go eight and thirteen, that that puts you down in Mississippi State territory. Yeah, it does. Um, but that's just where they are, right? Wow. Like let, let's Shocking. let's. Well, it's one of the things about last week that was that was shocking too, in its own way, is that it was not shocking. If that makes sense, <laughs> yeah, it does. right? It like, does. It, if you think about where Florida football has been and and is supposed to be, and maybe you know will be again, um, should they be losing by three touchdowns to Georgia for a second consecutive year? Uh, under this coach, no, they should not. Um, yeah, I remember talking. I was on the the Paul Feinbaum show. Um, I think it was at, at Destin, the the uh, SEC spring meetings in you know May, June, whenever that was. Yeah. We were talking about the you know probably six and six plus or minus a game, and he was like, kind of surprised that that was what it was, and that everybody would just kind of like accept it because that's not what Florida is. But that is where they are right now. Everybody understands this is where they are. Um, I think the buyout with what it is with, with Billy Napier makes it where he's going to get at least another year, probably two. I think the fact that everything we've talked about it before, but everything he's done has been through the prism of, or actually let me rephrase that. Everything he's done makes sense. If you accept the fact that he's viewing long-term, exactly, not, not a one year. We want to be really good this year. no, what can we do to build the foundation so we can be Georgia where every single year, 
we're not going to win it every year, but every single year we're in that championship mix. That, that, that's what they're trying to do. That's what they want to do. Um, and that means some growing pains and, and that's where they are. And it, it's stunning to think about it. I mean, when I think about, you know, I've, I've watched Jim McElwain get fired after winning the East back to back years. I watched Dan Mullen get fired after three straight New Year six bowls. And now Florida's got a very realistic chance of its second consecutive losing season under, under this coach. And everybody's just like, yeah, okay, that's how it's going to be. That it's wild to think about, but that's where they are. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that they're all going to accept that or swallow it. And it is an awful lot of money to part ways with a coach after two years. And I'm not saying that they will because they probably won't. But uh, boy, they, they uh, certainly need to show a lot of progress next year. And I, and I guess they'll, they, they have a good shot at beating Arkansas. Although I will say, I'm not sure what happened to Arkansas. But I did meet their coach last year at the Outback Bowl uh, signing party, Sam, Sam Pittman. Sam I Pittman. love the guy. I actually oh love the guy, and I'm an Arkansas State guy, so I'm not. I have no allegiance to the other university that is really the University of Arkansas. But I'm telling you, Sam Pittman's a cool dude, and I would Absolutely. play for. Him. I Absolutely. would play for that dude. Yeah, I, I'm not a drinker. I'm good for like half a glass of wine a month. <laughs> but if you're gonna go out, pick a coach oh, yeah. in the SEC to go oh, have a yeah. beer with. It's Sam Pittman. It's not even close. Like uh, he's he's a he's a great talker. He's a great interview. He's really down to earth. Yeah. I remember at uh, one of the SEC media days, he was talking about the this statue of these like slobbering hogs that he got put out in his house. <laughs> like he is as down to earth. As, as they come and i think it's completely genuine it is. um where like man he's an oklahoma guy like begs oklahoma and, and just that's just who he is and he hasn't changed and he doesn't care and he treats everybody with respect and and will say what he thinks and i am all for it i, I love sam Pittman. yeah just a guy that i would i would send my son to play for i just i just like him a lot all right uh so uh we've talked about florida now and uh uh, and I don't. We don't expect any any uh, headwinds at at Pitt for FSU, right? No, Pitt sucks. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, Pitt's Pitt's weird because how do you make sense of them beating Louisville? Well, that's and getting true. crushed by Notre Dame. But yeah. I, yeah, I think Pitt's. I think Pitt stinks. They're, they're not very good. Um, maybe you can talk yourself into there's some road weirdness, and maybe it's really mm. cold or, or yeah. But you know, realistically, Florida State will win. The only question is whether they score thirty points again. Um, but yeah, I, I let's we'll save the Knowles talk for for next week with the Miami game. That's there you when, go. Yeah, we. That's got when things will get. Yeah, that's when things will get really interesting again, and to see how they close. Right. I'm just curious. Uh... The goal will be to get Jordan Travis out of there as soon as possible and keep him healthy for the next one. So, um, all right. Uh, and then finally, uh, this is just in the, the local games. USF goes to Memphis. After this, though, uh, they've got Temple, uh, UTSA, and Charlotte. So they're looking looking to try to, to secure that bowl bid. I don't know that they do it against the Tigers. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. Memphis, Memphis is pretty good. Um, mm. Ryan Silverfield, their, their head coach, has done a good job of kind of writing the ship a little bit you know he, yeah. he had the misfortune uh you know he his first game as alex Golish pointed out was the cotton bowl because uh mike oh, norvell right. yeah, mike norvell left to take over fsu and and ryan uh took over he was the o-line coach who got promoted and then he, his first game he's playing penn state in the cotton bowl and the standard was really high because when you look at where memphis has been historically they i mean they're a basketball school and then justin fuente got them at a high level Mike mm -hmm. Novell took them to a higher level, mm -hmm. and it was Brian's job to sustain it. And 
it hasn't been smooth sailing exactly, but he's got them in a point right now where they're, I think they're six and two. They're in the AAC championship mix. And if they can win that, yeah, if they, they win that, they're going to have a shot at a new year six bowl. And, uh, to me, I, I wrote this the other day, but I think they're kind of what USF should be. Yes. Where you look at the playmakers they had, in particular under Norvell, but now they've got two guys who are in the top 25 nationally in explosive plays. They've been able to do that and reload, and there's no reason USF cannot do that. Just find really good running backs, really good receivers, and make them work. And then to to be you know establish themselves as one of the bit better mid major programs in the country. Again, I see no reason why USF can't do that. I think this is. Through that lens, I think this is an interesting measuring stick. Again, I am not expecting USF to win, um, but if they can be competitive and, and and hang with these guys, that's going to be another you know another nice sign of where this program's going. Before they've got you know, two of their last three are, are definitely winnable, which would get them in a bowl. Memphis is an interesting place, and I'm, I'm not going to stay along on this, but like you know, again, where I went to college, it was just it was the only big city nearby, sixty miles east of where I was at, and so we would go there. But from a college football standpoint, you know, you're right. It was a basketball school primarily. Um, but when you would go to Memphis on a Saturday or a Saturday evening, you would see lots of Tennessee fans. Mm-hmm. You'd see Ole Miss fans, mm-hmm. believe it or not. You'd see Arkansas fans. Um, and it, it was just kind of this central area of, of, of the, like, the Mid-South you know that just all kind of came, all kind of came together there in Memphis and would root for whoever that was on TV. It was weird, but there's there's a lot. And so I think Memphis, you're right, basketball school, but they they obviously are in an area where they're sandwiched between Arkansas and Tennessee, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of a you know difficult place to be. I think in in the college football landscape. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, but they've, you know, and that's to me, it makes what they they did under Fuente and Nurevel uh, more impressive. Really to, good, to get, yeah. Yeah, to get them to where they were consistently one of the better uh, mid majors in the country. And mm-hmm. it's also worth noting too that Memphis is in the process of, of putting a lot of money in their basketball and, and football or um, venues. Uh, a lot of it coming from the the state, and I don't quite understand all, all the, the details of it quite yet, but that's one of those other things as we talk about USF and their stadium and what have you. Memphis is a, is absolutely a peer in terms of a lot of similarities, you know, in uh, big metro areas, same conference, hopefully trying to get to bigger ones, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. Memphis is investing and the people there uh, i think it was either even the mayor if i remember right was saying like we want to be in a power five that's what this this school should be to help the city and just interesting to see how that's working yeah no definitely they uh the usf would do well to kind of follow that template hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, uh, we will get to some games uh, this weekend that are on the national level but I wanted to ask you about two stories in college football that is getting everyone's attention 
Um, the second one I'm actually more uh, is more fun. But I'm going to start with what the hell is going on with Jim Harbaugh, uh, the University of Michigan. Um, hell, Central Florida or Central Michigan is involved in this in some weird way. This is the darndest story I've ever seen. Like you have a guy who's going to games supposedly on the Wolverines' dime, standing on sidelines that he doesn't belong. Uh, you know, I would imagine bragging to the people on the staff that he's got, you know, the signals from the other team. This is, I can't imagine that this could, could happen without very high people in, in the football program being aware of it. Uh, can you? Probably not. It, and there's a difference here between whether, what, what did Jim Harbaugh know and when did he know when it? He know it, yeah. Um, or, what could he have known and should he have known? The NCAA has changed its rules to now it's basically, if it's happening under the program, it's the head coach's fault, right? It, it, the head coach right. knew or should have known. And I think there's definitely something to that. Um, I mean, I don't know how many people are in the Michigan athletic department, but I'm sure it's a heck of a lot. A few. So mm-hmm. can he know where everybody is at all times? No. Um, but you see this Connor Stallions guy standing on the sidelines next to coaches the question would be, how do you know what you know, right? Like that's a reasonable thing if he's as good at the, at this science stealing as he appeared to be. And there's so much weirdness to this. It, it is a perfect college football story for, for so many reasons. Um, the message board geniuses at this breaking down sideline film to find out that, oh, the, oh that looks like the guy over there at central Michigan, that, that looks like this guy. And if you like superimpose his picture on this, like the Zapruder film, I don't think has been broken down to, to this extent. And, and <laughs> if we could, if we could harness the power of all of these people looking at this and use that to science, we would have cancer cured by, by lunchtime. I, I feel very strongly about this, but no, we got to focus on, on what, what this, who's this guy wearing this central Michigan shirt. And, um, of course, central Michigan's coach is, is Jim McElwain, the former Gators coach. So there is some comedic value to the idea that people are once again, scrutinizing a Jim McElwain footage to, to see whether there's a doppelganger or whatever in there. It's, you know, the whole shark thing. Um, so it's just a, a wild thing. And where does this go is going to be fascinating. I mean, the bad answer, the bad radio answer is I don't know because we don't know what we don't know yet. But I have to think there's a realistic chance that this ends Jim Harbaugh's Michigan career. And not necessarily that he would get fired, but that he could look at what's going on and say, you know what? Screw this. I'm out of here. Um, it, obviously his, his, uh, interest in the NFL the last couple of years has not been a secret. There are jobs open and will be jobs open. And if he is able to, I mean, get Michigan to the playoff again, maybe win it all, which is not crazy talk, then he might ride off into the sunset. I think that's perfectly reasonable. And then the other side to this is what is, I, I mean, the NCAA is so slow in its investigations it's hard to see the NCAA stepping in now and say, oh, you know what? You can't be in the playoff. You were cheating during, no, during the year. No, it won't happen this year. There's no way. Yeah. Right. At the NCAA's pace, they'll, they'll have it done by the time my, my uh, first graders in college. Um, <laughs> but does the Big Ten want to try and step in? Like, how does Penn State and Ohio no. State? And uh, you wouldn't think so, but you've got 13 other schools who are yeah, going to be tipped off because be, they've yeah. been doing it. Right? So, like, I, I have no idea where this goes because this is kind of. 
you know, in, in a sport where everything has happened because it's so stupid, I say it's stupid affectionately, of course, um, this is, as best I can tell, we, we've never been here before. And I don't know where it goes, but it is absolutely fascinating. It is, and it'll be more fascinating if, if what I read about possibly the NFL wanting to uh, not give a kind of a safe haven to Jim Harbaugh or or any coach that's under some kind of NCAA sanction um, unless unless they serve it, you know, at the next level. Like, I don't even know how you would do that. It feels like collusion to me. I don't know if it's legal. Um, but there are some that feel like that, yeah, the, the the NFL would sort of turn a cold shoulder to them. I don't see that happening. There's 32 owners. They all have different opinions, and certainly there's going to be a bunch of them that need a good head coach, and Jim Harbaugh would seem to be that at all levels that he's coached. So I, I'm not sure that that's going to keep him out of the NFL, um, but but we'll see. It is, a, uh, it is a fascinating story, but not the only story that caught our attention in college football this week. Matt, I'm wondering, if you made $115 million, could a guy on a telephone upset you to the point that you would go on a 10-minute rant even though you have two national championships in seven years? I'm just trying to get caught up on the $115 million or whatever. <laughs> right, like, right. I think I'd hang up the phone. <laughs> I mean, I really? Re- I would have retired a, a long time ago. Um yeah, the Dabo Sweeney thing is is bizarre. It it just is for so many reasons. Um, Dabo is relentlessly positive, and yeah. not everybody thinks it's real. I I tend to think it is. I just think it is. Mm-hmm. I've heard from enough people who have been around him that that's just who he is, and so I could see how he would get that way um, and get so defensive to, from to a uh, Tyler from Spartanburg. Um, <laughs> It was one of those situations where neither person came across well. Uh, no, you know, or, that's true. Or Tyler probably crossed some lines, and, and Dabo did in his own way. Um, I, I guess the other thoughts I have on this is this has been brewing for a bit. Um, and when I say that, I mean I've I can't remember what podcast it was. One of the, the college my college football shows I listen to regularly had been asking a while ago what happens when Clemson has a Belk Bowl year. <laughs> right now, now it's the Mayo Bowl, but you know what I mean. We're, yeah, we're yeah, yeah. Bad injury luck, quarterback doesn't work out, couple fluke fumbles, whatever it is, and they go eight and four, seven and five. How is it going to react to that? Because you know, Clemson uh, Dabo built this monster there, and that's great. But at some point, the monster is going to start eating other things, right? Like it, it, at some point, it will it will go. Boy, you you build this beast, and the beast gets loose, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so he built those expectations through his success, and uh, people, once you're used to it, it it's hard when you fall off that. Um, the the other thing is when you look at Clemson this year, and we've talked about it, but Obviously, it hasn't worked, and you have to wonder Dabo's was it a defense or was it defiance kind of thing? Ooh, where I like that. Does he does he think that I'm right and, and my way of doing things is still going to work, or is he going to look at it as you know the way Saban did um, after after 2014, where it's like you know what the old way of doing things is not going to work. I need to reinvent myself. I need to reinvent my offense. I, I need to do whatever it is. And, and Dabo is going to have to figure that out for himself. Does he still think the Clemson way, the way it has been for you know 15 years now or whatever, that can still work? 
uh, our process is the right process. We just had some bad luck this year with all the, the you know, losing in overtime to Florida State and uh, all the trips in the red zone that didn't work out against Duke. And we're doing it the right way. We just had some bad breaks. But that's one way to read it. The other way is they were in that situation because they don't have the dudes anymore. That's because right. Because they, they didn't add them through the transfer portal, whatever the situation is. So he's going to have to figure out for himself why is this not working? And then I don't know what answers he's going to come up with, but it's one of the more interesting questions in the sport because, look, Clemson was the best program in the country for a couple of years. I, I remember um, I was in SEC Media Days one time with, with the same day Bama was there, and Joey Knight was at ACC Media Days the same day was Clemson was there. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, the two best programs in the country are talking today, and Joey's at the one that's number one. Because that's where Clemson was. Yeah. And so when Clemson is rolling, they can, we know what they can be. Um, but they also spent a long time kind of in the wilderness. And, and I don't know that they're going to get back. I mean, I'm not going to write them off, but I, th- I think that they have to do some soul searching and make some changes. I don't know whether Dabo thinks they do. Yeah, I think you have to adapt or die. I, I just think he's going to have to come to the realization that that uh, everything changes, and college football has certainly done that. And what he did to get them, you know, to the pinnacle of the way he did with all those ten win seasons, and 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 he deserves tons of credit for that. Um, I like the guy. I I I just think that when you tell a fan, um, "Hey, you want to apply for the job? Go ahead. Good luck to you." Uh, and now you've now you've kind of just crossed the line for me, but. Um, I understand, you know, how he feels after all the success he's had, but just tell to tell a singular guy you're the problem just seemed a little off off character for him. I I, I just like to think you would kind of rise above it. And that frankly is why coaches don't take calls anymore <laughs> on, on their shows. Um that might be a uh, that might be a format change for them. All right, let's uh let's talk about a couple of games that I really like in the SEC and boy I'm hoping they're good ones. LSU's at Alabama. LSU has really played some pretty good football uh, of late. So um, what do you like in this? What would you be looking for in this game? I think this is an interesting matchup just because the teams are so different. Bama's defense is is quite good, and their offense is shaky. LSU's defense is very not good, but their <laughs> offense is about as good as any in the country. So I, I'm, I'm, I think the styles there make that an interesting game. LSU and Bama have played a lot of really good ones the last you know, 10, 15 years, whatever. And I think this is going to be, it certainly has potential to be another one. Uh, and and Jaden Daniels, the, the LSU quarterback, is, is you know, Aside from Penix, who hasn't been great the last couple weeks, I don't know that there's a clear front runner for the Heisman. Mm-hmm. But if Jaden Daniels plays the way that he's capable of, I think he's number one in the country in total offense. If he beats Bama in this showcase and oh, they yeah. the West, and you know maybe hang with Georgia in the SEC championship, he's going to be one of those guys in that conversation. So that's to me one of the interesting kind of side wrinkles to this. Yeah, he's got an opportunity to have his Heisman moment. I thought I thought the Penix had had it against Oregon, but then I've seen Oregon come back and play really, really well. This is going to be an interesting Heisman race. We won't get your thoughts on that just yet, um, but uh, but I, I think there's it's going to be a really interesting um, voting that goes on there. Okay, uh, Georgia against Missouri. I got to be honest with you, I really like. Missouri, I don't, I don't know that Georgia's going to lose another game and they could win three straight national titles because I think they're that good. Um, but this has been a great year for, for the Tigers. 
Yeah, it absolutely has. And, and give Eli Drinkwitz a bunch of credit. Uh, he got an extension in the offseason. And I was like, why? What has he done to <laughs> deserve this? I mean, he's been he's been fine. But nothing where like, oh, my God, we have to keep him from going to Texas or, you know, whatever. Like, no. Yeah. But but he's had it. They've done a really good job. You know, the, the win over Kansas State on the walk off field goal was, was very strong. They've been, you know, again, certainly deserving of their top fifteen, top twenty ranking. Luther Burden the third, the receiver, um, he's unbelievable. Um, you know, he's in that All American mix for me. Brady Cook, the quarterback, has been strong. It, it's a good offense. A uh, couple of former Gators doing well on defense. Tyron Hopper, the, the linebacker, being one of them. Um, I don't know that. I don't think they can beat Georgia. I don't think they're there. I think this is probably their kind of, yeah, we've had a really nice year, but we're not, we're not at that level. Um, but realistically they got a chance to go. I wouldn't be surprised if they go 10 and two and right. end up in a new year six bowl or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, for Mizzou, that's absolutely fantastic. And I'm hopeful that they can give, uh, give Georgia a, a good game there. That's yeah, stunning. It's become a tough place to play. I had a question and I'll get you out on this. Real quickly, it's uh, from a uh, uh, a listener that asked me on, on my um, on an email uh, to ask you. Uh, you know, we know about Ohio State and Michigan, the Big Ten in general. Is that conference a little too highly rated for what you see in the field, or would one of those teams uh, be a national championship uh, favorite? Yeah, I think Ohio State and Michigan are. I mean. Legit. Clearly, yeah, I think they're yeah. I think they're legit. You know, Michigan. Yeah. We've talked about they haven't played anybody with a pulse. Right, but that's also, the thing. They're crushing everybody. Yeah, and that's impressive. No, you know, no matter who you're playing. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know if they're at that Georgia Ohio State I'd say Florida State level, that's but they're fair. they're clearly very very good. And it's unfortunate that their schedule worked out the way it did. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were supposed to play UCLA, and that series ended up. Uh, canceled um cause, you know i i can't make much of them beating unlv I, i'm sorry yeah. um and it's it's also unfortunate the big 10 is just kind of you've got the two really good teams in ohio state and michigan uh, ohio state i think has proved it with the win you know the way they beat notre dame yeah um and the, what they've done the rest of the year i I feel very i feel good about them being yeah. a good team michigan i think as well penn state is is good um but other than that, the rest of the Big Ten is not impressive. Yeah, you exactly. look at that mm-hmm. that upper middle class, the way you know typically you think of Michigan State being pretty strong. Eh, mm-hmm. No, not this year. Uh, you think of Iowa being pretty strong, and, and you know their defense is still Iowa, but their offense is, is somehow worse than last year's, which is why they just announced their offensive coordinator is going. Wisconsin, um, the Badgers, disappointing. Yeah, yeah, the Badgers typically a top twenty five team. They're they're solid. And, you know, you understand the year one with Luke Fickle. You, you get what's going on. But that upper middle class of the Big Ten just isn't what it yeah. has been. So that makes it where Michigan is going to be, you know, going into Veterans Day and they haven't played anybody with a pulse. Yeah. And that's that's very unusual. And it will be it'll be interesting to see how that works out come playoff time. Um, and I say that assuming, you know, Ohio State and or Michigan are in, they're not as tested as some of the other ones. How much does that make a difference in, in the Rose Bowl or whatever? Right. And then when the committee is trying to figure out, okay, who's our number four spot? Uh, is it 11-1 Ohio State, whose only loss is to Michigan? Mm-hmm. Or is it undefeated Florida State? Mm. Is it uh, 11 or 12-1 Oregon? 
or is it you know eleven and two, eleven and one, Washington? Right? There's going to be some scenarios where they're where they're going to have to figure out how do we value the Big Ten compared to some of the other conferences based on who Ohio State slash Michigan played, comparing that to Florida State, Washington, Oregon. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting to see as that goes forward. But it you can certainly envision scenarios where the Big Ten not being great kind of weighs in Ohio State or Michigan down as they're looking for that fourth spot. Yeah, I think a one-loss uh, one loss Big Ten team may not uh, get in the top four over a Florida State or somebody like that. It'll be interesting. He's Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. You can read him on tampabay.com. He covers the craziest sport in the land. It's college football. It just gets nuttier all the time. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. One more thing about how nuts this sport is, Rick. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do this sometimes. Um, I saw on Twitter today that the college football playoff championship trophy was in our area. State Road 54. It's right up here at the. Uh, I've seen it. I've been there. Yeah, it, it was at the. It was at the Circle K. Yes, uh, the, the, yes. the one on 54 next to the Burger King, not the one That's across correct. the street. Yes. Uh, I, I, my kid and I and my and my wife, we went over there just to see it, and like, yeah, it's just out in front of this gas station. Like, it's phenomenal. This is a, it's a like this is a perfectly normal thing where uh, <laughs> a guy in a Dr Pepper shirt and a woman hanging out <laughs> no. Modelo koozies is right next the right next to the national championship trophy at a gas station in Lando Lakes or, Lutz it, or it, whatever it's that on is. tour it's not the Stanley Cup but it's on yes. tour it, the trophy is bigger than you think which is the first mm-hmm. thing I noticed and they had it there last year in fact a friend of mine actually worked uh, at one point for the folks at Dr Pepper. And we went up there a year ago, and yeah, you get you get the koozie, you get you get some free Dr Pepper, <laughs> and you get to see this national championship trophy. Have your picture taken with it, just at a random Circle K up there off of, <laughs> of, of State Road Fifty Four. It's like, okay, I'm game, man. This is an exciting time in Lutz, Florida. Come on, let's exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Why not? Let's do this. <laughs> let's go get some fuzzy tacos afterwards. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> maybe maybe some. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, anyway, uh, great talking with you as always, Matt, safe travels. We'll talk to you next week, buddy. You got it. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, man. All right. My thanks to Matt Baker. Always great to talk college football with him. The Tampa Bay lightning begin a four game road trip at Columbus tonight, and we'll have a chance to talk to bucks offensive coordinator, Dave Canales and get the latest from the bucks and their preparations for their Sunday game against the Houston Texans. Thanks for listening, everybody. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud, the Tampa Bay times. Have a great day. 